Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. Take a deep dive into this chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Revelation, telling of things to come. In this message, we'll be in chapters 5 through 7 as we look at why God will judge the world. Enjoy the message. All right, today we're going to continue in our series, Are You Ready? This is our study in the book of Revelation. Uh, we've, been going, uh, we've been going week by week, chapter by chapter, and it's been a lot of fun, uh, but it's also very serious. It's also very challenging, and it's putting us all on notice. Revelation is a book about the end of the world and how it'll come to be. And ultimately, it's not about uh, how it's going to happen or when it's going to happen. When people are all about when it's going to happen, uh, I want you to know it's off base. It's about Jesus is coming back. It's about worshiping Jesus right now. We're going to have a kingdom in full come to us, but we can begin to live in this kingdom right now. Am I right, church? Right now. And so Jesus is king. He's in control. He's coming back, and we need to be ready for it. And I want you to know, as we are being ready for it, we are not, we live in a very individualistic society, and I'm, I'm thankful for our freedoms uh, living in this country specifically. I'm very thankful for that. I tell people that all over the world. They're like, what's your favorite country? I'm like, America. It's like, oh, yeah, I can't believe you said that. It's like, well, when you go to the UK, when you go to France, they say that's their favorite country, all right? I love this country, right? But I don't love this country more than I love the kingdom of God, all right? The king, we are citizens first of the kingdom of God, and, and our king is Jesus, King Jesus, and he, and he is our leader as Christians, he's our leader as the church, he's the leader of Kenosha City Church, and he, this is his church, and our vision is the cross, and our hope is in the resurrection, and our power is in the indwelling and filling of the Holy Spirit. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, right? Revelation chapter 5, verse 1 uh, we've been kind of going through Revelation again. We've been talking about how uh, is the things of the future going to transpire. Um, and so we see here in Revelation 5.1, John has been caught up into heaven. And he says, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. So John, who the apostle John, the last apostle uh, before he passed, uh, the, the apostolic age ended with the Apostle John here uh, on the island of Patmos, and he's been caught up into uh, heaven, and we see here uh, that, that he's seeing Jesus with a scroll in his right hand with seven seals, and the scroll would be God's deed to the earth, and again, he has rightful ownership of the earth, but rather when these scrolls are opened, he's going to bring newness to the earth, he's going to bring a new heaven, a new earth. He's going to bring judgment that take place to bring his justice on all of creation. But there's a bit of a drama in heaven, if you can believe it. John is in heaven, and he's seeing a drama unfold. God is holding the scroll, and we see, and, and one of the angels said, who can open this scroll? And everybody just was like, wait, who could open this thing? And for a moment in heaven, John began to question the promises of God. Could God's promises, which are, are for us to receive these promises in full, it requires that this, this scroll to be opened. Could it be that nobody could open this scroll? And he began to, even in heaven, question the promises of God. So we see Revelation 5, 4, I wept and I wept because no one was found worthy to open up the scroll or even look in it. And then one of the elders said, do not weep. John was missing it in a sense. He forgot that the very person that was holding onto the scroll was the one who was worthy. 
Church, we have promises that are all throughout Scripture that, we can, uh, that are revealed to us today, that could be our hope to us today, that impart our ours today. But I want you to know when these scrolls are opened, when Jesus Christ comes back and we stand before him, his promises will be ours in fullness. Uh, we, we won't have to live this yet and not yet where we're living in the promises of God, but yet we live in a world that lets us down or we live in a world where circumstances will, will, will hit us from the left or the right or whatever they are. Uh, we have a kingdom that's coming in its fullness where there'll be no more sickness, pain, death. Yet you fill in the blank. But let's t- can I just read a few promises that can be yours right now? Can I do that, church? Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run, not become weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Colossians 1, 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We've, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have already been transferred from a dominion of darkness and into his marvelous light right now. Those are your promises. Oh, yes, it might feel like that some of the promises are deferred. Yes, we aren't experiencing the fullness of those promises yet because we live in a fallen world. But Revelation, the beauty of Revelation is this. God is going to come back. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to make all things new. Where all those promises that we can hold to and hold, hold tight to and experience in part now, we will experience in the fullness. We never have to doubt the promises of God for they will come in this life and in full in eternity His promises come true because somebody is worthy to open this scroll. Verse 6, Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into the earth. He went and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne. Who is seated on the throne? Who's the one holding and is able to open up his scroll? Jesus is on the throne. There's one throne in which one can be seated on, which all of the focus is on. It is King Jesus. He is the slaughtered lamb of God. Don't doubt him for a second. He is on the throne now. He'll be on the throne forever. Don't pull him off the throne because we make lousy kings. When we pull him off the throne, we want to do it our own way. But lean in because Jesus is indeed coming soon. We don't know when. He could come at any time, but when he does come, he's going to take his church. And as I said last week, I believe he's going to take his church before the fullness of his wrath is poured out. That means that there's an urgency for a second coming. There should be an urgency. We should be thinking about that every day. Are, Are we aligned with, are we aligned with the understanding that Jesus is on the throne and that Jesus could come back at any moment? Is our life aligning with that urgency and expectation? It means we need to have full surrender. Full obedience. So we're going to look at what happens when God opens the seals. We're going to go through all of uh, the six seals today, and then seventh seal will take us into more judgments. We'll do that next week. But I want to just ask you this question before we get into some, uh, you know, destruction. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, have you ever? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever re- rode a horse? Anybody who's rode a horse in here? Right? How many regularly ride horses in here? Anybody? All right, all you horse riders. All right. So yeah. Well, I don't have much experience. I think maybe I've ridden a horse twice, all right? Uh, there was one occasion I was at a, a church camp at Village Creek Bible Camp. It's a camp we sometimes will go to and do uh, retreats. And one of the activities was riding a horse. Like, we're going to ride a horse now. You know when you go to camp, they tell you you're going to do activities. And you're like, okay, I guess I'm going to do archery now, right? Well, this afternoon it was riding a horse. 
I didn't know much about riding a horse other than you get on the horse, you give it a few cues, it'll go forward, it will turn, you, you can, you know, you can pull the, whatever the rope is, I, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about, and they, and they uh, you know, you stop the horse, <laughs> And so my horse, it was pretty easy. I was in the middle of it, so I just following the other horse. But there was a guy behind me, and his horse was acting up, all right? His horse was acting up. And I, I didn't fully get full permission to tell the story, so I'm going to uh, change the name so you don't know who he is. Uh, his name is Juan, uh, Juan Paveo. And uh, no relation to John Paveo. Juan Paveo. And his horse didn't respond, Apparently, they, they cut the hooves of the horse, and if you cut the hooves of the horse, apparently the, it, they can be in pain when they're walking. So we're walking in this densely wooded area on this path, but his horse didn't want to walk on the path, so his horse was walking just slightly off the right of the path, and all of a sudden, I was just hearing all this. I was hearing, like, twigs break, and I was hearing, ow, stop, what are you doing? And I would look behind me, and every tree he went by, branches were hitting Juan Paveo in the face. He's like, would you get on the trail? Would you get on the trail? And finally, as we're moving on, we noticed his horse just stops. And he's trying to kick it. He's trying to get it to move. And eventually, he just looks at the horse. He puts his finger out and he goes, now you listen here, horse. When I tell you to move, you're going to move. Now get going. And I just start laughing. I'm like, I cannot believe it. You're talking to a horse, right? You think it's like some Disney animal is going to talk back at you, right? Uh, you, think, you think it's, for those of you that are real old school, you think he's Mr. Ed, right? <laughs> Some of you got that, all right? Yes, consider you AARP, all right? So, <laughs> hey, I remember Mr. Ed when I was in Nick at Night, all right? So, okay, I'll, I'll be there soon, all right? So, anyway, but the thing is this. <laughs> Some of you are like, I can't believe you said that. I'm sorry. It's just a joke, okay? <laughs> but the thing is this. I was like, John, it's a good thing that horse doesn't know English. Because if he knew English, he might rebel. Because there's something about a horse uh, that it can go rogue, out of control or unstoppable. It's if it feels disrespected. A horse feels disrespected when the rider isn't riding enough time on it or it gets hungry. And if it feels disrespected, it does its own thing. But horses follow commands and when they do, and when they follow the commands, and they follow the commands of the rider, they don't stop on the side of, a, of, of the trail, or they don't throw the, the, the rider into the, into the twigs. No, rather, they become unstoppable. They're fast. They carry out the rider's purposes. In today's passage, we're introduced with what's typically been called the four horsemen of apocalypse. They're good characters in a movie, but they are really frightening what's going to happen in real life. At the beginning of the judgments, God will, with, will, will take away his restraint. And we see here a manifestation of judgments being personified uh, by riders on a horse that cannot be stopped. The four horsemen of apocalypse. So what we'll see this morning in our judgments here are four horsemen of apocalypse followed by two uh, disasters that we will see after that. In fact, let's go ahead and show you where we're at in history, all right? If you're just joining us this morning, right now we're in the church age, okay? Yay, chart, right? So we're in the church age. And the church age began when Jesus Christ ascended some 2,000 years ago. 
All right, so the church age, this is the age where we've been entrusted with the gospel to reach those that don't know Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. So in 2022, we are in the church age. Now, before Christ comes back uh, and he unleashes different judgments upon the world of which Revelation contains, uh, I I spoke last week, I believe uh, the church will be caught up. They will be uh, what some call raptured. Uh, First Thessalonians says caught up. He, He will take the church Uh, so that they will not experience uh, the wrath and judgment to come. The reason why I believe this is in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9, it says again, for God did not appoint us, that's the church, to wrath. That word wrath is very specific. Wrath uh, means uh, something from God. So it's not just a natural calamity or persecution from someone else. This is something from God. So for God did not appoint us to wrath, but obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether awake or asleep, we may live together with him. So what we are going to see today is clearly wrath from God. If God did not appoint us to wrath, uh, then I believe he's going to take us before what we call right here the seven-year tribulation. So between a millennium, well, don't worry about what the millennium is, not Millennium Park, Chicago. All right, we'll talk about that later on. Uh, but there's going to be a seven-year period where there is judgments upon the earth. God is going to take and protect uh, his people from that. So as God prepares to bring us to the close of history, again, we don't know the day or time. The question is, will you be ready? Will you be ready for this? As it is written today, is what we'll get to in Revelation chapter 6, verse 17. It says, because the great day of of their wrath has come, who is able to stand? That's the conclusion of the matter of all all the wrath. Who is able to stand? And that is really the question I want you to write down today in your notes is this, is how will you stand? When Jesus Christ comes back, or or when you meet Christ, if if you were to pass on before he would come back, again, if you pass on, know Christ, you'll meet him, right? It's appointed once for a person to die and then meet God, all right? How will you stand? How will you stand before God if he comes back in your life? Now, there are other views, and I'm sure there's other views in this place, that some people think we're going to go through some of the wrath, all right? Well, I'll just, I'll just... I'll go with you there for a second. If we were to not be taken before, because again, that's speculation. If we were not to be taken before the wrath and we experienced some of the years into the wrath, how would you stand then? The question is, when the tough gets going, the question is, when things happen in your life, when the question is, when you are to stand before God, how will you stand? Will we be able to stand in the days leading up to the end? How will you stand? And another good question is this, who will stand? Who is able to stand? And it's the one who places our faith and trust in Jesus. We cannot, we cannot muster up the confidence. Uh, uh, we cannot muster up our own agendas and mercy to be able to stand and get through life. We, we must stand in our faith in Jesus Christ for trusting in wealth or friends or fame, anything else in this life. You'll be squashed by the circumstances of, of life and, and ultimately what is to come. And listen, church, if you want to stand tall on the things of God, you must stand tall on his truth. You must stand tall on his word. Uh, you must get into the word of God. Uh, in this the whole 2022, I've been begging and pleading with the church uh, that get into the word of God. The word of God is what we must stand. And it's not just that we know the word of God, that we don't become students of the word of God in itself. That's not the end of itself, right? The end is this, that we become fully transformed in the image of Jesus Christ, that we become fully devoted to the things of Jesus Christ, and that we become fully obedient to the things of Jesus Christ in his written word. That is how we stand. We must make that decision How are we going to stand? We must stand in his truth. We must stop looking at loopholes. 
for not living out his truth. We must be gospel advancing. We must reach unreached areas, not only of this world, but also in the city. I love that song, God of the City. Uh, I love that song because it is, it is a statement uh, for the place that we actually live in, right? For the area that we live in, that we want to be for the good of the place that we live in. How will we stand? How will we stand? Will we stand on mission? Will we stand on grace? Will we stand on love? How will you stand? Now, let's answer a few considerations. Let's take a look at two considerations. In answering that question, how will you stand? And everybody's like, I hope I stand, right? Like, how are you going to answer that question? Uh, I won't. No, you you should, all right? How will you stand? It should be more of a, a pondering question. It should be like, okay, what will make me not stand? What will make me waver? Those should be the things that are coming to your mind. Two things to consider. First thing in our text this morning that we're going to see is evil attempts to disrupt the purposes of God. Evil attempts to disrupt the purposes of God. Jesus is the only one to open up the seals and in the events that will end the world history through the pouring out of God's wrath, we will see judgments that have a specific future fulfillment. These these judgments will, will bring out a fulfillment and each time God unleashes a judgment upon the earth towards the end, it's actually mercy to, for people that are so hardened to the things of God that they would open up and see God. But it's also a moment where people are rejecting God, they will face finally the ultimate wrath of God. Does that make sense? It's hard stuff, it's heavy stuff, but listen, God put it in the Bible so that we would consider this real thing that's gonna happen. So what we're going to read today has a full future fulfillment, but I also believe there are parallels throughout history in our time that can be uh, applied to us to a lesser extent. All right, so without further ado, Jesus is going to open up the seals. Uh, Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. We dealt with this first one last week. Let's go a little bit deeper this week with this, and let's go through them all. The first seal is this. It's a white horse of false peace. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. Then I saw the lamb... That's Jesus. Open one of the seven seals. All right? So again, he has a scroll. There's seven seals. They're going to open up different seals. Again, when it's open and the scroll will open, there'll be further judgments. It gets really intense, all right? So I, I saw one of the lambs open up one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures, those are angels, say, with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and there was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out as a conqueror in order to conquer. Now, this first horseman uh, we see is riding on a white horse. Uh, someone mistaken this rider as, as being Jesus. As I said last week, it is not. Uh, Jesus does appear in a white horse, on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19, but this is not Jesus. As we will see, this is a counterfeit Jesus. This is an imposter. Uh, this is somebody who uh, had to take and borrow a crown. This is somebody who had to be conquered and given authority here on earth. And what we see here is he takes countries over countries with deception. This is the Antichrist. Who after great wars that played out just before the end. The Bible says there will be birth pains. That you'll see signs and wars and rumors of wars. Uh, these are not the end but they're just the birth pains, right? And we very well could be and I believe actually are in the birth pain season. When will that will end? I don't know. Uh, but what I do know is this. Is that at the conclusion of many of those wars that lead up to a great tribulation, there will actually be peace. The first seal marking the beginning of the tribulation will actually break out with world peace. That's weird, isn't it? You mean to tell me when the judgment of the world is going to break out, it's going to manifest itself where there was war before, now there's peace? That, that doesn't sound evil, but it's a satanic trap. Many people will give up freedoms for their safety net of peace. 
They'll be longing to be safe and they will give up many of, 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 uh, of their convictions during this time and it all plays into the Antichrist hands. We will see more of that later on. Uh, I, again, I don't believe that we can know and pinpoint who the Antichrist will be. I don't know if he's alive today. And I also believe, just because I believe God's going to take the church from uh, judgments, I don't think we will know who he is. We might be able to watch from heaven, uh, but I don't think we'll experience him. Uh, but he will show up at the beginning. Uh, he'll come into full power, actually. Uh, he may, if, if, if God is going to start the judgments next week, that means the Antichrist is alive today. Who is that? I don't know. All right, People are like, I think it's Vladimir Putin. I have no clue. All right, People thought it was Saddam Hussein. Guess what? He's gone. All right, So like, we just don't know. And so uh, it's, 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 it could be actually fruitless uh, to do that. But whoever this person is, they're going to have world-renowned favor. Uh, they are going to have world-renowned power. Uh, and, it, and it's going to be somebody who emerges after great wars that really reunites the world in a way that's actually a satanic trap. Uh, one world government, perhaps. The term Antichrist, though, is, is being specifically placed towards the Antichrist here in Revelation. It can also be used, and it also is used, in more of a generic sense. There have been, there have been many people uh, or things throughout history that have had a spirit of the Antichrist. They're not the Antichrist, but their spirit is opposing the things of Christ. Uh, in fact, Jesus warned us in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4. Jesus replied to them, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. Today, many churches or even Christian speakers, uh, in, in the hopes of even becoming more popular, sometimes mix the word of God with things that are diametrically opposed to God and culture in hopes that, well, you know, I can, let's win them. Let's win them to this. And here's the deal. We're not going to do that here at Kenosha City Church. We're going to be real with what God's word says, and we're going to let the chips fall where they may and have conversations what we, what we, where, where we need to have with them, all right? Uh, if you win somebody to Jesus' light, they're not going to like the real Jesus. Does that make sense? If you, meet, if you win someone to Jesus 2022, uh, version 2.0, right, uh, they're not going to love the Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, we need to make sure uh, that we are preaching the word of God, but also that we are following the real Jesus. And we can see that clearly from the word of God, and you can have a real relationship with Jesus when you place your faith and trust in him. But Antichrist teaching is Jesus' light. It says there's many ways to heaven. It says that all religions are the same. But when you do what, just even a five-minute study on religions, they're not all the same, all right? They're on, on, on the same way. It's like saying, hey, all roads, you know, uh, you know they, they lead to Duluth, Minnesota. No, they don't, all right? But that's, but that's the equivalent of that. Nothing wrong with Duluth, by the way. The spirit of the Antichrist also turns the church into something else, and listen, if you're in Jesus Christ, I want you to know this, he's got you. <laughs> There's nothing that could take you from his hand if you're, if you're truly in Jesus Christ, right? It's a beautiful thing to know that you're secure in the Savior, amen, church? But don't think for a moment he doesn't want to deceive you and put you on the sidelines and make you ineffective for the rest of your life. The spirit of the Antichrist turns the church into something that's not. I've, I've mentioned this for, for months on end now. Uh, some say they have the right doctrine, but their heart is far from God. Or sometimes people want passion, but with no knowledge. Many Christians will not be ready for the second coming because perhaps their church is turned into a club or a community center or a place for minor Christian celebrities to show off their shoes. There's, there's an Instagram site where they have all these Christian speakers have their, their preacher sneakers. 
and they're like literally thousands of dollars, right? And so like if someone were to do preacher sneaker today, these shoes were $35, this coat I think was 20, all right? So I want you to know, <laughs> I'll never be on that site, but there's people today that like, you know, they, they're all about, you know, being on the stage and doing this thing, and I'm just like, God in heaven is like, what are you doing, Right? What are you doing? We need, to, we need to make sure that we are preaching the word of God. We need to make sure that we are becoming fully devoted to the things of God. We need to make sure that we are, we are moving forward in all what God has said. The church is God's church. Kenosha City Church is God's church. It's not mine. It's not yours. Uh, it's not anyone else's but Jesus Christ alone. In Christ alone. And Jesus is the reason. He's the reason that we do everything. He's the reason, and the cross is our focus. And the minute we take our focus, even ever so slightly off the cross, we began to hold, begin to hold things that are not primary. When the cross is no longer the focus, odd fringe doctrines and, and experiences take hold, and when we make the fringe the main thing, we make something so off base and so unbiblical the center. It's a dangerous place to be. It brings out confusion. So we need to be clear with what God's word says and we need to be clear in how we walk through it. So how will you stand? To withstand the onslaught of the falsehood from culture today, uh, I believe the answer is this. We need to return in being a New Testament church. You hear about that. We just need a New Testament church. You know, we want to be a church that's from the New Testament. I'm like, okay, you ready for that? Persecution. You want that? Oh, no, I don't want that. Uncomfortable. You want that? No, 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 no. Uh, no your, your individuality is slayed every single day. Do you want that? No, I don't want that. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The apostles' teaching is the word of God. The apostles laid the foundation, and after the last apostle died, we have the teachings of the apostles. It's through the word of God. And the apostles' teaching, uh, uh, again, gives us that supreme court of God's revelation. If someone were to tell you today that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that. We can't trump Jesus, right? We can't override Jesus. So we devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's what we need to do as well. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Which means this, uh, as we know the word of God, sometimes we stop at that. I'm like, I just know so much about the word of God. And I'm like, well, oh, good, good for you, all right? What are you going to do with it? And, and, and another thing is this, are you going to rely on your natural self, or are you going to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit? You see, we are to be people that are naturally supernatural people. We are to be people with two wings of the plane, uh, where we, we, we walk with Jesus in spirit and in truth. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit and not filled with our natural selves, we begin to see, what, we begin to see God do things that only he can do. And as a result, awe and wonder is just being filled up in our lives. Verse 44, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any who had need. The early church, New Testament church, was massively generous with their earthly possessions to care for one another and to fuel the ministry. And finally, verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. They broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to the number of those being saved. The community in the New Testament church was absolutely ripe for the things of the gospel. But I want you to notice something. Usually what is missing here in the, in the, in the New Testament church, when you read all the way through the book of Acts, which is, which is the first book after Jesus is ascended into heaven and you see the first actions of the church, it's called the Acts of the Apostles, the actions of the Apostles. 
what you notice here is that day by day, the church grew, whether it was in, whether it was in joy, whether it, was in, uh, whether it was in persecution or somewhere in between. When they stayed on the gospel, they grew. When they stayed obedient to the Bible, they grew. And here, here's the deal. We must be a New Testament church if we're able to stand against the schemes of the enemy. But notice this, that the community, the community was always tethered to the cross. Always tethered to the cross. The minute that community was untethered from the cross, Paul would have to write an epistle and correct them. Community is tethered to the cross. When we have community with the cross on the side, things will always, always go awry from the word of God. The cross must be our sight. We must be a New Testament church. And we must give the reins of the supreme leadership to our Lord Jesus Christ. But we know when the Antichrist comes to deceive the world in full, he will be given the reins of supreme leadership of the entire world. And as soon as there is peace there, uh, he'll have world peace and people are like, they'll be kumbayaing it. But what happens here is this, the peace doesn't last long. In fact, we see this, the second horse of the apocalypse is a red horse. Peace descends into war. Revelation chapter six, verse three. When he opened the second seal, he heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse went out and a fiery red one. And its rider was allowed to take peace from the earth so that people would slaughter one another. And a large sword was given to him. So sometime in that first three and a half years of, of this great seven-year tribulation, the worldwide peace is shattered with a worldwide war. The Antichrist shows himself for who he really is. He's not a man of peace. He is a man of war. And with the advance of weapons since John's day when he wrote this in 90 AD, we can imagine that a worldwide war that is being spoken here will be awful. It'll probably be nuclear. It'll probably be biological. Now notice this horseman was given a large sword. This would, this would suggest there will be many assassinations, uh, revolts, and massacres amongst countries. And the Antichrist brought together a world under a false pretense of peace, and now he is dividing it. He's pitting people against people and destroying it. This is the work of the Antichrist. He has war in his heart. Today the enemy tries to divide up people, friends, workplaces, missions, John 10, 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The second horseman will, be, will bring war like the world has never seen. Many will die through war. People will wonder what, what, what happened, why was the peace descending into war, but the enemy comes to make war. Today in this world, war is in all of our hearts. Did you know that? People think, like, I'm just a peaceful person. No, you don't know. And every single one of our hearts is an ugly monster that comes out. You want to know why I know this? Because the sweetest people, when they're in Kenosha traffic, sometimes when they get cut off, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, at, I was at a gas station the other night, and I heard this big boom, and these two cars collided. And they're like, ah! I go crazy. I'm like, I bet they were nice five seconds earlier, right? Why do we get angry at traffic, at family, at politics? Why? Why? Because we have WrestleMania in our hearts, all right? We do. WrestleMania is in our hearts, not the peace that surpasses understanding. If you want the peace that surpasses understanding, you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. You have to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you afresh, to guide you into all things. All things without that. You'll be trying to body slam Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. 
So why do we get angry when someone cuts us off? Anger stems from an underlying experience of fear, loss, and sadness that make us feel out of control. Anger makes us feel like we're in control. As human beings, we like to be independent and in control. But as followers of Christ, we are not independent and in control. No, rather, instead of putting our fists up in the air against the person in traffic or your family or coworker, we get on our knees and we ask Jesus, God, have mercy on my heart because I know what it wants to do. God, have mercy on their heart because I know what it wants to do. So God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit and you'd bring wholeness to my life. That needs to be your prayer in every aspect of your life, that the Holy Spirit takes over your heart, that he takes over my heart, that he takes over the hearts of the people of God throughout this country. Why? Because he's coming soon. And the spirit of the Antichrist is already here. But the thing is this, you can know everything you can know about the Bible, but the key thing is this, are we gonna execute it in a way that is seen different from the world around us. As war goes on in our hearts, as war goes on in, in, in our hearts, it's also going on in the real world. Uh, and we've seen this, haven't we? We've seen wars break out, massive wars, biggest wars that we've seen. Some people ask me, is the war between Russia and Ukraine part of the end times? I simply don't know. I don't know. I remember people asked the same thing about uh, the first Gulf War in 1990. I, I just simply don't know. But I do know this, as war goes on in our hearts, as war goes on in the real world, it arrives, it, it beckons another horseman. It's the third seal, the black horse of famine. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. And I looked and there was a black horse. Its rider held a set of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice among the four living creatures say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius but do not harm the oil and wine. Some of you are like, yeehaw, right? This is a clear example of famine. Oil and wine were very important for preservation. Uh, they were also luxuries. Uh, and so uh, they needed to make sure that those things, it wasn't just for, uh, to uh, go drinking. That, that, that was actually used quite differently back then. And so we see here a very huge description of famine both physical and spiritual. Famine is a consequence of war. With the war in Ukraine and Russia, I just heard uh, just a few days ago, uh, there were warnings, even here in the United States, uh, that we could face food shortages. And in some countries, famines. Why? Because in Ukraine and Russia, 25% of all the wheat come from those nations. And it's completely offline. So they're, they're saying, this isn't going to be a supply chain issue. This is literally plants aren't coming out of the ground. Right? Things that we haven't heard in, in modern era, they're warning. We just might simply not have bread. We see food will be rationed uh, during the tribulation. Verse 6, we see a quart of wheat for denarius, three quarts of barley for denarius, which means that, that we're seeing inflation. So part of this war uh, that's happening in the tribulation, there'll be massive inflation on food that has become scarce. In fact, inflation will be so big uh, that one piece of bread will cost a person's one-day wage. So whatever you make in a day, let's just say you make $100 in a day, that's what one piece of bread. I'm not talking about the loaf, I'm talking about the piece of bread. And as you can see, families can't be fed on that. People are going to die of starvation during this famine on the third seal. 
War causes famine. Spiritually speaking, if we decide to warn our hearts towards our brothers and sisters, it will lead to a famine in our heart. We will not thrive. If you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody, or if you, uh, it will eat at your, the joy that's supposed to surpass the understanding of your heart. Famine of the heart will result in loneliness and anxiety and depression. Uh, you can prevent famine of the heart by standing on the word of God, by living on the word of God, by standing in obedience to the word of God. Full obedience, not just some. Not looking for loopholes, thinking that, ah, this doesn't matter at this point, I'm gonna go ahead and do this anyway. People experience spiritual famine because they feel a certain way makes them feel like they can act in any way. But God says, it's not about our way. It's not about my way, it's not about your way, it's about Jesus's way, correct? Jesus says in Psalm 34, eight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh no, he's good, church, isn't he? He's amazing. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? And so for all of us, every single one of us, you may be struggling with in your marriage. You may be struggling in your workplace. You may be struggling like you just, you know, that, that, uh, that, that, that uh, sister of yours, uh, you know, you've been warned for the last 35 years and you, you just, they said something at Christmas. And, uh, you know, like it's still hitting your mind. I want you to know this. It's going to make you in spiritual poverty if you don't do something about that. What do you do about it? Well, you, you might not be able to change that person, but you can love that person in your heart. You can pray for that person in your heart. Get in his word. And by the way, just don't listen from, you know, some people are like, I get in his word. I'm like, when? When I go to church and I hear you read it, I'm like, no, that's not enough. You won't remember it. To stand on his word, you gotta personally get in his word. You just can't get it from me. Don't let someone else do it for you because you just can't. It's like someone eating a meal for you. Have you thought about that? Hey, I'm too busy. Could you eat lunch for me? Sure. Uh, you know? <laughs> go to McDonald's. You order number one. Somebody like, you McDonald's. Just follow me. All right? So you go to McDonald's. You order number one. No, not, never mind. Uh, but uh, then, you, then you give your food to the person behind you and say, hey, you know, I'm too busy. Would you eat this? And they're like, okay. They would get the benefit of eating the food, but you wouldn't. People can't eat your food for you, for you to be nourished. Listen, church, you cannot live off somebody else reading the Bible for you. You cannot live off somebody else's prophetic words. You cannot live off somebody else's Christian experience. You need to make it personal. And if you don't make it personal, you'll have a spurt for a moment, but you'll, you'll feel famished spiritually for the rest of your week. Let the experiences that you have in the Lord be the supplement to standing on the word of God. Let your moments in the Holy Spirit be your supplement to the things of the word of God. When people take these other experiences and things and it becomes their main thing and, and, and the Bible's nowhere to be found, that is how cults are founded. That's how people get onto weird theology. Man, how they believe that is because the word of God has been abandoned and they're just living vicariously to other things and other people. That's famine. How will you stand? During the tribulation, there'll be famine. There'll be from the world war. But war makes famine. But you know what happens when there's famine? It brings in the fourth horseman. It's death. Revelation 4, verse 7. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and there was a pale green horse. Its rider was named Death. And Hades was following after him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill by the sword, famine, by plague, by wild animals of the earth. This 
picture of the rider of this horse is pale. In fact, the original Greek, uh, you, could, you could translate sickly green. You know when someone's getting ready to throw up and you're like, I think they're going to throw up. It's because they've gone green, right? We see here that this rider was named Death and Hades to follow after him. This word Hades in this context means the grave, to follow. It has been estimated because of a fourth of the earth, and if you were even to take today's population, a fourth of the earth would be uh, about two billion people. I know I'll have a mathematician probably correct me in between services. That's cool. Let me know, and I'll correct it in second service. But just offhand, that's about two billion people that will die by this famine. Absolutely catastrophic. Spiritually speaking, when we move away from the word of knowledge and obedience, we just don't. We aren't just spiritually famished. We begin to spiritually die. Spiritually die. Live with no hope. We can look the part. This would be so far away inside. And as many die from war and the effects of war, the judgments will continue. Revelation 6, 9, we see the fifth seal. And this is not a horseman now. We see some of the effects, uh, just general effects. So the four horsemen represent the activities of the Antichrist. Now we see uh, some effects of what the Antichrist had done through false peace, uh, war, famine, and death. We see martyrdom. Revelation 6, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I see under the altar the souls of those who have been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Just before the tribulation, again, I take a pre-tribulational view. Some people think we'll go through all of this. I don't think we will. That's good news. And if I'm wrong, I'll say I'm sorry. All right? It's not the word of God was wrong. Again, again we are given clues, but it's okay to speculate when is Jesus coming back? We simply don't know. Some theologians, and I, I won't consider myself a theologian, I guess, but I'll just say I, I, I take a pre-tribulational view. So just before the tribulation, the seven years, the church will be recaptured, that is, protected, raptured, uh, to be with God, to be with Jesus, so they're protected from the wrath of God. But imagine this. If the entire churches, entire millions upon millions upon millions of people, uh, maybe a billion plus people, are, are being taken, just disappear immediately. Think about this. That's going to be weird. Imagine the headlines, right? Uh, imagine, imagine your push notifications. One billion people missing. And again, I think that they'll, through the deception of the Antichrist, there are going to be a number of uh, explanations that people will fall into. Listen, the enemy is deceptive. The enemy will make you believe anything. And you, oh, no, no, not me. Uh, listen, the enemy is absolutely deceptive. Why? Because a billion people plus are going to disappear, and a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that's the reason why? Okay. You know, it's like, what? But some people, a number of people, they're going to be like, that's not right. What just happened? And they're going to go, and they're going to find Bibles. Uh, some people are going to think they were right with God, and they weren't like, I need to get right with God, Right? Yeah, I missed it, right? And, and there's going to be other people that they go to YouTube before it's banned or they go on to church websites and you're going to see a revival uh, during this moment. People that have resisted Jesus, they missed the rapture, but they didn't miss the second coming. Second coming is not the rapture. Second coming is when he comes to make all things new and history finally ends, right? There's still a chance in the seven years for people to come to Christ, but it's going to cost them. With the Holy Spirit moves up with the church, it's going to get nasty, there's restraint has moved away uh, from evil. It's going to get hard. And it means if you give your life to Christ in this moment, 
We'll see later on, they're not going to get a mark. That means they're not going to be able to do commerce. Their credit cards won't work. All these different things won't work. They're going to be completely canceled from culture. But more yet, when they're canceled from culture, they're vulnerable. And what happens is, many of them will be killed for the faith. They place their faith in Christ. And they die for many of them. They'll be persecuted or killed. Let me just ask you a question. Church, listen. I want your attention, full attention on this one. What would happen in your priorities in life? What would happen with what really matters in your heart right now? What would happen with your future plans or, 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 or your retirement, all this? What would happen if right now you found out that come Monday morning, people are gonna knock on your door and if you say you're a follower of Christ, you die. Oh, I would say I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you? Honestly, answer that question. Because there's people all around the world today, in China, uh, in the Middle East. I've spent some time in a country I won't mention. Uh, one of the countries that we go into that we don't mention. I spent time worshiping over a phone with downloaded music that was their church. Why? Because if they went outside and did that, ISIS would cut their heads off. What would happen if someone knocked on your door and said you would die for your faith? Will you stand up for Jesus? Will you, will, will you say, I'm a Christian? Would you believe that maybe God would convert that person in the moment or protect you from a moment? What would you do? Oh, I just, I'd find a way. What would you do if you knew that walking for Jesus meant the end of your life? I'll tell you what would happen. Churches would empty out all around America. That's what would happen. And church, I want you to know this. God wants you to prepare your hearts. Not that that's gonna happen in our lifetime. Not that's gonna happen. Like again, uh, for, I believe God's gonna take his church. But it's happening around the world right now. And when God opens up his wrath like this, it's gonna be worldwide. It's not gonna just be isolated a few despotic countries. Church, we have it easy. Church, we're comfortable. Church, we can get distracted by so many things, and yet Jesus said to us right now, you have a mission, and I'm entrusting you with this. Today, many people around the world die for the faith, and it's not due to the wrath of God. It's due to a satanic bad government and policies that prohibit Christianity or prohibit other countries. They prohibit many faiths. But in the tribulation, the hand of God's protection is removed and persecution arrives. So we need to get right with God right now. Sixth seal. Earthquakes. Revelation 6 verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. And the passage goes on. There's such an earthquake. And this, I, I believe that there, the fault lines all around the earth or something must have all been, I don't, I'm not a scientist or a geologist, so or, you know, I, I don't know uh, exactly how this would work. But there must be simultaneous earthquakes all throughout the earth. Maybe not the whole earth, but a good chunk of the earth. So much so that the kings of the earth hid themselves in caves in the mountains. And they said, who will deliver, who deliver us? Deliver us! Fall on us, hide us from the face who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come, and who can withstand it? The kings, the who's who's, the influencers, they're hiding in caves. Why? 
Because when God comes, it doesn't matter what you're, it doesn't matter what, what, what you've accumulated in life. It doesn't matter what, 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 you've, what you've done or if you're a TikTok superstar, if you're the president of the United States or you're some king of some country. It doesn't matter. What matters is this. How will you stand before our God, our maker? Seems pretty catastrophic, doesn't it? But you know what? Evil tries to throw out the purposes of God, but it won't. Second consideration is how you stand is this. Jesus' purpose cannot be stopped by the intentions of evil. Jesus' purpose cannot be stopped by the intentions of evil. Revelation 7, verse 4. Then I heard the number of those who were being sealed. 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. Now, we can go into a whole one-month speculatory message on the 144,000. We'll see this number again. But 144,000 is a number. Another, again, when you're dealing with apocalyptic language, it's using language that illustrates something. And what we see here, 144,000 is a number of completion, perfection. And so this 144,000 speaks specifically of a a number of tribes of Israel that are going to come to Christ. Which means this, Israel during this time is going to have a massive revival. Now, the Jehovah Witnesses, they use 144,000, that the, there will be 144,000 that basically get to their version of heaven, and that's it. So whenever they come to the door, I, I, uh, I show them the, the membership numbers of the Jehovah Witnesses. I'm like, there's more than 144,000. Yeah? So are you out of luck or what? You know? Like, uh, you know? It's like, I, it's seriously, I mean, that's a real question. I mean, it's kind of like, yeah, it is kind of funny, you know? It's like, but it's like, yeah, I mean... Are you hoping you're 144,001? But that actually there's way more than that. So this is actually a number of completion. And it's a completion for the people of Israel that God is going to bring in. When we all get to heaven, this is what I love about this. He, you have this whole section of judgment, and it's like, oh. But Jesus is like, let me give you a pause. Let's go back to heaven a little bit. Let's go back to where this is all going. This isn't all going to show, to be like a scary movie. Let's go back to the point. And the point is this. Jesus is coming and he's king and he's gathering all his people to him. And we have a massive responsibility right now because of that. When we all get to heaven, just like 144,000 is a number of full measure. When we all get to heaven, there'll be a full measure of every tribe of Israel, of every tongue and nation around the earth that's represented, that gave their life to Jesus. Revelation 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count. Isn't that amazing? A great multitude that no one can count. I mean, I can't wait to see Jesus, but I also can't wait just to fellowship and and connect with people that I've never seen, or heck, maybe even the people that uh, I've never met. Apostle Paul is going to be pretty cool, all right? Therefore, before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne, before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our Lord who sits on the throne and the Lamb. It is a... The white robe and the palm leaves that represent just the, the purity being made new. The palm leaves are definitely the peace that we have before God. Uh, we are going to be standing in worship before God. Heaven is going to be a place where there's no more tears, no more suffering. Things are going to be all made new. And we're going to be standing there in awe. Every tribe, tongue, nation, every language you can think of, it's going to be there. And we're going to be in awe. 
And the vision of heaven that we see here, it's not something that we just wait for. It starts now. It starts now. Where does it start? It starts in the streets of Kenosha. This is Kenosha City Church. Heaven start, we want to bring heaven down now in part, don't we? Amen? And as we reach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, I love this. We rob hell and we populate heaven. I want to be in the business of robbing hell, church. I want to be in the, I want to be in the business of seeing people being able to live in the yet, not yet, the promise of the kingdom and the kingdom full when Jesus comes back. And that's the mission of Kenosha City Church, to make fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, who we personally connect to others, to the power of the gospel through Jesus Christ, and that Satan will stop us at nothing. Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. And he said, These are those who came out of the tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in the temple who sits on the throne, will shelter them in his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat on them, nor scorch heat. For the Lamb that is at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to the springs of water, and God will wipe away every tear of their eyes. How is that for a promise, especially for those that have been martyred, that were martyred through the tribulation. How is that for a promise for you right now, whatever's going on in your life, that we have a promise that he's gonna take away every tear, that he's gonna take away every, every pain and every circumstance that, that is trying to rob us from the kingdom of God in part right now. How will you stand? How will you answer? Here's our prep kit for the day. You need a plan to pray. Don't pray when somebody else prays. That's good. Like, hey, guys, we're going to pray now. Yep, okay. Right? Don't pray when there's just a, an opportunity, like when, when we have a prayer moment. I mean, we want you to pray when there's a prayer moment. Be in a constant moment of prayer. God, I can have a conversation with you. Yet sometimes you might think like, ah, oh, prayer is just when I go, okay, dear Lord. No, no, no. You don't have to go in the whole letter construct, right? You know, dear. You don't, no, just talk to him. God, I need help. God. I need encouragement. God, I need wisdom. God, help me, help me in my job. Or God, help me with my test. Or God, help me with, 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 this, with, should, with this relationship. Or, or, or should I get engaged? Or should, you know, should I get married? Or all these different things. God, help me. I have a big decision to make about my kid. Whatever it is, talk to him. Plan to pray. Secondly, he's plan to be filled. He wants to fill you with his spirit. You know, his Holy Spirit is a down payment, the Bible says. It's a down payment of glory. If you want to experience his glory right now, you have to be full of his spirit right now. Just constantly ask, Holy Spirit, will you fill me? I need the fullness of your spirit. Some of you have never prayed that before. Pray it. Let the Holy Spirit knock your socks off. Third is plan to share. Share with whom? Those who don't know Christ. This is your mission. This is your mission, church. This, is, this isn't my mission or Kenosha City Church's mission that we made up, no. We're, we're, we're plagiarizing Jesus. Plan for mission. Plan for worship. Plan to make God the most supreme thing in every area of your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that even though we walk through some of your judgments, it's, it's interesting, it's hard, Thank you for hope. Thank you for hope, God. Thank you that you have guaranteed that whatever we walk through, you will wipe away every tear.
that you'll give us a new day and you'll give us a full eternity in you. God, I just pray for anybody in this place today that is struggling. I pray for anybody in this room today that has confused or they're, they're thinking different through different things. I pray for this person today that maybe their, their children are wayward or, or their, their, their job is lopsided or, or they don't even know how they're gonna pay their bills. God, I just pray they'd run to you. These things that are eating them alive, they'd run to you. As we continue to pray, I just want you to know this. Every single person in this room and everybody online, I want you to know that God loves you. God's pursuing you. He loves you no matter what you've done in your life, what you're experiencing right now. He loves you. Satan comes to seek, kill, and destroy. But God comes to give life and life abundantly. What I want to talk to anybody in this room today is if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is your moment. He wants to give you the abundant life that's found in Christ. The abundant life is this, your forgiveness of sins. See, God created you to have a relationship with him, but your sin, your wrong in your life separated you from Almighty God. If we were left in that condition, we would forever be separated from him. We wouldn't have hope. But the reason why we're reading about hope today is because Jesus did something 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. He paid for every single one of your sins. He rose from the dead. He defeated your sin and death and victory. Our response is this. If you want that forgiveness, if you want to be in right relationship with him, if you want to experience this joy and fullness in heaven, you have to personally tell Jesus, personally receive Jesus. I place my faith and trust in you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. Just tell him that. Right now, get right with Jesus. Right now, say, Lord Jesus, I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you're saying, Jesus, I'm getting right with you this morning. Jesus, I'm placing my faith and trust in you this morning. If that's you, no one look around, just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me. That's me. Raise it up high and say, yeah, that's me. I'm placing my faith and trust in you alone. Thanks. Anybody else? It's raising your hand doesn't save you. You're just indicating what God is doing in your heart. Anybody else? All right. Father, we thank you for those that are saying yes to you today. And Father, I, I pray for every single one of us that we would be prepared to stand in victory. That we'd be people that would be pure and contrite in your sight. We wouldn't go through the motions. We'd get real with our Savior. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.